1: Welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Number One Ninety. This is a special edition uh, with Sean Hackett, and we are going to take a look at some upcoming weather. he has been working on for a while, having to do with uh, solar cycles and how they are going to start uh, affecting what we see happening in the world right now. So, Sean, how you doing, man?
0: I'm doing really, really good. I'm excited about this uh, program. I think it's a really timely discussion. So.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to it. I know we've had uh, we've been talking about this for quite a while, Sean, and and uh, you and I have. Uh, You've been talking about this for the past uh, almost two years now since, uh, since you reached out to me back about the end of 2018 to talk about this topic. So why don't you give a brief background on what it is that you have been, been tracking and what you've been following and, and kind of give us a kind of a cliff note version here of, of what you're about to lay out.
0: Our general observations, Casey, is this. When we look at 2,000 years of data, from ice core samples, tree ring analysis, what we find is that the climate is always changing. That's the natural state of climate is that it's always in a state of flux. There is no such thing as stable climate. So what we did is we went back and said, well, what makes the climate change? Sometimes it's warming, sometimes it's cooling, sometimes there's greater volatility, less volatility, more droughts, More flooding, less. So we went about trying to find what those natural cycles were and went about a scientific study um, to try to find out data correlations. Our degree, my degree is in chemistry, so I have a scientific process background and trying to determine what's actually the truth about what drives our climate. And what we've concluded is that the solar cycles and the planetary cycles and how they relate to the sun are very rhythmic, very cyclical, and they've been driving our climate for thousands of years and they continue to drive our climate. And where we feel we are, uh, Casey, is that we're at a, a very important flexion point where these cycles are all pointing in a certain direction that they haven't pointed towards in at least 200 if not 400 years. And so if we're remotely correct about what these cycles are saying, the next several years and the next 10 to 20 years are going to be unlike anything we've ever seen. And as such, if you're in the business of agriculture in any way, knowing what the weather's going to do uh, and what the patterns are likely going to be is going to be very important about how you run your business and how you might want to change how you run your business going forward. And so that's really the basis for why we're doing this today and why I think this could be extremely um, important for your listeners to consider uh, what we're discussing today and it is it is very different um, It's very contrarian, but I would I would offer Your listeners as a pathway to further research um, If nothing else, so,
1: okay All right, Sean, so let's uh Let's kick this off. So you sent me a <clears throat> uh, a Report that you did and the report basically talked about um how the the different influxes of the, the grand solar minimum and some other things that we see happening out there are are taking place and what and what how those are starting to kind of really form moving into this 2021-2022 uh time cycle uh time frame and as we look at those things some very uh unique things are have starting to happen one of which is some of the weather patterns that we're seeing, um, whether it was last spring, stuff happening in China, um, drought in Europe. When it comes to uh, the different stuff we see with um, with the fall crop there, the, the the spring wheat crop there. So, talk about the forces that you see at work right now, and and how they are working to further this this uh, the the weather patterns that we see happening.
0: Well, the big picture, Mr. Casey, is that. We've entered a a period of uh, of a grand solar cycle minimum. That is a long period of multi-decades where the sun goes quiet. And when the sun goes quiet, the weather patterns that we've been accustomed to change very dramatically. So what we say is that a grand solar cycle minimum amplifies El Nino or La Nina. So let's define that, right? El Nino is a warm Central Pacific sea surface temperature regime. A La Niña is a cool Central Pacific regime, and under normal circumstances, an El Niño produces in the United States, for example, cool, wet weather. Under a grand solar cycle minimum, we would expect it to be, you know, amplified over the top. So, as you correctly said, Casey, last year we dealt with historic floods the likes we have not seen in anyone's memory. Um, So it took what would be a normally wet pattern and it just blew it out and amplified it. And so we had that historical delayed planting, uh, record prevent plant acres. And of course we had a very poor crop. Um, The same thing goes for La Nina. What does La Nina mean? La Nina means for the summertime, hot and dry. So this is not the La Nina year. It's what we call a pre-La Nina year, meaning that's this is the year where we're moving towards La Nina, but we're not quite there. So you get some heat, you get some dryness, but it's not the full-blown El Nino effect. We believe 21, 22, we're entering what we call a full-blown La Nina. And of course, the grand solar cycle being what it is, it's going to amplify that um, and cause more extreme, uh, weather events, not only for the summer, but La Niña also means extremely long, cold winter. So the winter of, from the spring, uh, from the fall of 21 to the spring of 22, that winter, based upon our research and our cycle suggests, it's going to be the winter we will all remember where we were, because it's going to be extreme to the likes that we've not seen in our lifetime. And so, so, so what's good about this, um, Podcast, Casey, is that we're really at a point where we don't have to wait for any of these forecasts to play out. We're going to see it right in front and center over the next couple of years, and we hope that your listeners, a, will do some more research on what we're talking about today. And as they see some of these signposts coming, and they see that they're verifying, they see that we're moving down the path that we're talking about today, that they'll start to take what we call adaptive action so that they can not only survive. But thrive through it, and that's really what we're about. Uh, why we're t- why we're discussing this because preparation is the mother of skill. All
1: right, sounds good. So let's jump into your report now, and let's let's take a look at the data that you've got ahead of us right now.
0: So, what we want to try to do today, Casey, is kind of go over um, what really drives climate on the Earth, and. Um, we have to remember that the, the Earth lives in the space. It lives in the solar system. And so here we are. Here are the planets of our solar system. And what we want to try to communicate to everybody is that there are forces at work that we know, they're quantifiable, they're real, and they have a tremendous impact. So I'll, I'll just break it down to something we, we all understand. We, have, we all know that we have high tides and low tides. If you're on the ocean you know tides rise and tides fall. why is it happening because the moon rotates around the earth and the gravitational forces impact our sea surface temperatures that's a very basic rudimentary understanding of how the earth is impacted by the forces in space so we're going to take that concept casey and we're going to blow it out much much bigger much much more impactful to how this really impacts our earth. so so with this particular chart is trying to show and what I want to to communicate is all the planets so you see this big arrow all the planets rotate around the sun at different rates they all spin so if you look at Uranus uh, they all spin around their axis at a different rate and if you see these dotted white lines here uh, they all have a different what's called a precession so they're not all spinning at the same axis and so all of these um movements are different and they all interact with each other and what we call uh a orbital forcing and that means that every plant so here's here's the sun right it power is think of the solar system like you would think of an electric circuit the solar the sun is the the battery that Powers the whole thing up. And then all, then the gravity between the sun and Neptune, the sun and Saturn, and Jupiter and Earth, think of that as an electric cable. So these are, are, uh, this is electricity that's going back and forth between the planets, and each planet has its own electrical charge. Each planet has its own magnetic field, meaning it has its own magnetism. So if you think of a magnet, Right, Casey? North and south, they have these, these, uh, these forces that flow from out it. Every one of these plants has its own magnetic field strength. And then, of course, so, so what we're talking about here is that, be, that as these plants are moving around the sun in, at different rates, as they're spinning around their axis at different rates, as they all have a different procession uh, at different angles, The forces that are imposed on the Earth's atmosphere are constantly changing and impacting the weather on Earth. And so that's really why, you know, if one looks at, we went back and looked at 2,000 years, Casey, of weather. We looked at tree, tree ring analysis, ice core analysis, and we find very regular patterns. That repeat over and over again because it's a it's a system the solar uh, the the solar system is a system that operates with a certain set of rules that are repeatable and predictable and so we are um, we have found some extremely unique correlations uh,
1: that are very highly accurate and it's all based upon Engineers have all been
0: researching this kind of thing and been documenting what's going on. And so all this can be verified um, and looked at and researched and measured. Just as an example, just to kind of give you an idea that the magnetic field strength of Jupiter, just an example, is 5,000% more powerful than that of the Earth. These are the magnetic field forces of Jupiter. So, so what I'm trying to convey here is they the forces come out and they go in. So they go out the top, they go in the bottom, just like a magnet, north and south. You have if you bring two magnets together on the wall, you know, it, it, they can they either can repel or attract. So how these planets align based upon these magnetic field forces whether they're opposing each other or Attracting each other has a lot to do with what happens with our weather. So one of the things that we talked about, Casey, in, in, in your, I think it was a year ago or a year and a half ago, is how all these plants adjust what we call the barycenter, or it's the center of the solar system. Everybody believes that the sun rotates around its center of mass. It actually does not. It actually rotates around the Barycenter, which is the center of the solar system. And so what happens is, is that if you look at the bottom here, this is the the sun rotating widely around its Barycenter in a very wild fashion. The top is when it's rotating fairly normal. And so when the planets are oriented with this wide ranging what we call disturbed rotation around the barycenter is when we get, we call these grand solar cycles. So we put arrows to show where these grand solar cycles have occurred during these periods of wide wobbling around the barycenter. And we're now in one of those periods now. So all this is connected. It's all connected. And so, so that's what this orbital theory is all about. And what we would like to do today, Casey, if it's okay with you, is go over some of the cycles, not all of them, but a few of the cycles that are really important, that have really predicted the weather in the past, and what those cycles are saying today, and what they mean not only for the next couple of years, but for the next 10 to 20 years. And anybody, by the way, anybody can do a search for the Gleisberg cycle. Dr. Gleisberg is, is 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 out there. He's done tons of research. There's been tons of research on his research. So feel free, anyone on this that's listening or will watch this recording to do research on what's on the Gleisberg cycle, but it is a very, very powerful and real cycle. What it is, just for those that to, to, to kind of understand, is that Uranus and Neptune come together every 168 years meaning every 168 years, they could they get together like this and this starts what we call the Gleisberg cycle the Gleisberg cycle is half of come together you yeah, know half, half of the neptune I mean, uranus together cycle together like this, and so that and this starts what we call these two planets as they evolve around our solar system and interact with all the other planets and the earth have a very rhythmic cycle that we can go back. And we have tested this, Casey, we've tested this for over 2,000 years and have found extremely unbelievably reliable cycles of how these forces, these gravimetric forces, these electrical forces, and these magnetic field forces interact. To explain how this works would be, uh, would take days and weeks and would require someone to have knowledge of science that we're not going to do on this program. What we want we want everyone to appreciate is that the position of these plants is important. And what we're here to do today is not go over exactly why all this happens, but to give you what's happening, what we know about the cycles and the correlations. So hopefully everyone can see this, but these this is the Gleisberg cycle and it goes over all the different correlations that have been found. Um, um, and anyone can take their time to read through this but what we're interested in, Casey because this this is a program here in the U.S. and we're most interested in U.S. weather and and of course the weather in China because China is so important we're interested in what's going on in China and what's going on in the U.S. and what the Gleisberg cycle has been very, very clear about is floods, epic floods in China and epic droughts in the Midwest and so what's interesting is that, as you know, Casey, we've been dealing with epic floods in China. Correct. In central southern China. Epic floods. They're worried about this three gorgeous dam breaking down. And what I'd like to convey is that this is actually predicted. If you look back, and we just put some dates here, and anybody, by the way, can put these dates in and can see the kind of floods that took place in China during these times. 1751, 1841, 1931 is a, is a, is, a, is one, was one of the worst Ch- uh, China floods in history of that country, created a famine, and these all were operating on this 88 to 90 year Gleisberg cycle. It predicted that some, t- and of course it off by one year, one way or the other, you know, but it predicted that in 2020, 2021 we would see epic floods in China. And of course, that's exactly what we're seeing. What's interesting is that this same Gleisberg cycle has consistently predicted for 2000 years that after a flood, within four years time, plus or minus one year, we expect historic Midwestern droughts. 1756, 1845, 1935, of course, which is the dust bowl. And it now says that we're expecting a Historic drought in 2023, 2025 in the Midwest. So, this cycle, if it continues to perform like it has for over 2,000 years, suggests that over the next, you know, three years to four years, we are expecting an historic drought in the Midwest. And by the way, this fits in with a La Nina. La Nina means hot, dry summers. All the droughts that we have seen in the Midwest have all occurred during periods of la niña the only difference is that a la niña within a grand solar cycle minimum means a amplification of the normal trend so we're very encouraged we talked about signposts at the beginning of this program about looking for cycles verification that these cycles are in play well we just got it we would expect to see a historic flood in China in 21 and we now have verification that's taken place, which says these cycles continue to play out exactly as they have for thousands of years. and So we are on watch for, some, for a significant, meaningful drought in the U.S. By the way, this is not just U.S.-based. This is Northern Hemisphere-based. We can make similar claims for... Russia and some other areas in the in, in, in the northern hemisphere. The other cycle that we that it's very, very important beyond the Gleisberg cycle is the Yashimura cycle. So anyone can put in the Yashimura cycle. And this has to do with when Jupiter and Saturn come together. This is actually a picture of what the plants will look like in December of this year. Uh, we're going to get what we call uh, a conjunction a conjunction is when the two biggest plants in our solar system are together so think of it magnets coming together either they repel or they attract either they're going to increase the solar site, the uh, the sun's impact or they're going to reduce it in the case of this configuration we uh, when this is a configuration, when Jupiter is actually so so, we talked about the precession, right, Casey? So we know the Earth totally rotates around the Sun, right? Right. We know there's a there's a period, there's a time when the Sun and the Earth are closer together, right? When it's like this, and then it rotates around, and we know that at this point it's further away. It's just it's just because of the the angle, the precession, right? So when Jupiter is further away from the Sun, which is what this is. It means that we're entering a period where temperatures of the, of the sea are going to cool down and the temperatures of the atmosphere or the air are going to turn down. It's a, um, uh, people have this idea that sea surface temperatures warm and cool based upon ambient temperature. That is actually not correct. They warm and cool based upon the the gravitational forces that are, and the magnetic forces that are imposed upon it. That's why La Niños and El Niños happen very rhythmically. They occur no matter what. We can predict when they're going to occur very because they're driven not by temperature, they're driven by these forces. So what we're trying to convey here, Mr. Casey, is that uh, we're entering a period where this particular configuration has been consistent with a Significant change in our global temperature and a significant change in our sea surface temperature that we'll show shortly here. Um, This is what we call a positive Gleisberg cycle. So, um, what the positive Gleisberg cycle or a positive Yoshimura cycle means is that it warms the sea surface temperatures. If the sea surface temperatures warm, so does the temperature. If the sea the surface temperatures are cooling, so does the temperature. And appreciate that this, at positive Gleisberg cycles, when look at how the symmetry of all these planets are in alignment like this. And the way that these planets are organized is that we talked about earlier how we have these magnetic fields. They're coming out, coming in. In this configuration, Casey, all the magnetic field forces are pushing towards the earth, meaning it's helping the sun, it's actually helping the sun force more of the solar wind into the earth. So it's a warming effect. It, 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 it amplifies the electric circuit of the universe. So when we ever have a positive Gleisberg cycle, it warms the earth in this configuration. So, we try to bring all this down as something that everybody can understand and something could follow. The top chart here, Casey, is positive Yoshimura cycles where we have this, the planet of Jupiter closest to the Earth, which warms the planet. And then we have the negative Yoshimura cycle where we have Saturn and Jupiter together, but the uh, Jupiter is further away from the Earth. And this is the AMO. It's called the um, Atlantic Meridional Oscillation. It's the sea surface temperature of Atlantic Ocean is what it is. And so what we did is we mapped out these cycles against the sea surface temperature. Remember, sea surface temperature determines air temperature, determines weather, determines upper airflow. It's amazing. We went back, and, and, and we, by the way, we can go much further back than this, but we went back just so that everyone could just kind of see this that here we had in the late 1800s you know uh, uh, the positive yoshimura cycle and then we came down and here's where we have what we call the great conjunction that we talked about in our prior slide where the sea surface surface nosedive into very very low sea surface temperatures of the AMO. If anybody does any history or any research on what took place with temperature, with weather during the mid to late, uh, during the 1915, 1920, 1925 area, it was an extremely cold period. It was an extremely adverse weather period. In fact, the peak in the agricultural commodity cycle occurred in 1920, right here, right as we were peaking in this global cooling period. And then, of course, look what happened. The positive Yoshimura cycle kicked in, and we had the Dust Bowl in 1935 when we had the positive Yoshimura cycle. And so you everyone can look back at how the cycle repeats over and over and over again. And what we want to emphasize, Casey, and what's so incredibly well-timed about having this conversation is see the circle here. It's the same conjunction that we talked about prior when the Jupiter is further away from the sun and Saturn is together. And it's always ta- creates these nose dives in sea surface temperature. So what we're anticipating is that 2020 is the high in the AMO or the sea surface temperature of the Atlantic. And we are now going to be entering what we call the hard down phase into
1: the mid 2030s <clears throat> so Sean spend, spend a little time talking about that the the uh, the down the downward spiral you're talking about there and what the, what's that mean basically the, the cooling of the ocean water and what that what that actually means and what that looks like
0: so what we know from history Casey, is that when we get this configuration in Saturn and Jupiter um, and we start to uh, it, 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 it takes the solar side. It, it, first of all, it reduces the solar wind strength, meaning, think of it as electric circuit. It, it actually re, it, it inhibits the circuit, the electricity. It's an inhibitor. And so, it what it means is that uh, we get a cooling of sea surface temperatures dramatically. So, think of La Nina, right? La Nina is a redu- reduction of the sea surface temperatures of the Pacific ocean. This is a reduction in the sea surface temperature of the Atlantic ocean. And by the way, it's not just a one-off thing. It's not like just a couple of years and it goes back. It's a, it's a multi decade period of lower sea surface temperatures. So think of a bathtub, right? You put an ice bath in a bathroom and in a different bathroom, you put boiling hot water. If you go into the room that has boiling hot water, What's going to be going on with the ambient temperature it's going to be hot yeah if you're going into the the bathroom that has the ice cold uh, water you're going to be much much colder it's 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 a simple uh mathematical equation of how the air and the sea interact with each other to create the temperature and so what we're trying to convey is that everything that's been going on with this warming temperature over the last, let's say, you know, 10 or 20 years is exactly what we've expected because we were warming into this final configuration. And as we did here, if, if everybody remembers how cold it was in 1970s, Casey, we were worried about global cooling. We we're worried about the next ice age. That's what the fear was here, ice age. Everyone was fearful that we were all going to not be able to have food because we're moving into an extended ice age Um, that's we're just about ready to start that cycle. So the bottom part here Casey is the Gleisberg cycle that we talked about. And so the most important thing that I want to try to convey with everyone on this is I don't want to try to confuse everyone is the media and many try to bring weather down to one variable. It's just, it's CO2. It's this, it is very complicated. There's multiple cycles going at work. But what I, if, 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 if anyone, the most important thing that I want everyone to walk away from this interview from is this. We have a synchronicity of cycles that have not happened in 400 years. What I mean by that is that we have not only this conjunction heading south, we have the Grand Solar Cycle heading south. We have the Yosha U- the Motor Cycle heading south. We have the Gleisberg Cycle heading south. All these cycles are in synchronicity, all pointing in the same direction. That's going to be in influencing our sea surface temperatures cooler and influencing our temperatures cooler. And when we get cooler temperatures, we get increased weather volatility it has not happened since the late 1500s that's how long it's been since we've had one of the, we have, we've had synchronicity of these cycles so that's really what's unique just remember how cold it got in the 1970s and we did not have all these cycles going in our favor but now we do and so that's really what drives our research casey what drives our uh, methodology and why we're so um, wanting to get this information out is because I think the more that people really understand about how natural climate is and how it's driven by these natural cycles and what's really going on and how we go back in history and see how it's repeated, you will let everyone prepare, adapt, and, you, and, and consider how they can adjust their business going forward.
1: So I have a question real quick, Sean. Sure. Okay, so go back to your statement about this hadn't happened for 400 years, and that would have been back in the 60s. So is, was, that was the, the Maunder minimum, right? Is that correct?
0: Yes. Okay. Actually, this is a slide that, that you're, that, that, this is when the last time that we had all these cycles that we just talked about in unison heading south,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right here at the beginning right. of 1600. This is the Maunder minimum. It was the, greatest, most severe Grand Solar Cycle we have seen um, in 2,000 years was this right here. And I drew the circle here and where we are right now with the cycles we just discussed, the Gleisberg, the Yoshimura, the Great Conjunction, the Grand Solar Cycle in terms of uh, of, of uh, the quieting of the sun, we have not been at this place since the 1600s, it's been that long. And we went into a very, very, very difficult uh, period of weather volatility um, and of a, a difficulty of growing food the way that we've been accustomed to. Um, now, the Dalton Minimum, Casey, as you're aware, was a was a grand solar cycle minimum that was not as severe. Uh, we did not have all these cycles in unison. We did not have. The same synchronicity. We had a few cycles in in favor, but as you can see, it was less severe. By the way, it was really bad. Anyone that wants to type in the year without a summer of 1815, which was part of the Dalton Minimum, showed frost in late in late June. It was by no means um, fantastic weather, but it was less severe. Um, And so, what we're trying to convey is that what we're dealing with here is something more along the lines of this because of the cycles, um, not as much like this. But you're right, it, this, is, this is how far back we have to go And the problem with um, trying to convince anybody uh, of these cycles because it's, it's been so long since we've had them. People have a very hard time because they only look at the last 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years and think that that's just the way weather's weather always been. And unfortunately, you actually have to go back and look at a, a much bigger picture to get the truth about what's really going on with our climate. Gotcha. So, um, are, are there any questions, Casey?
1: Uh, not yet. I still think your people are getting their mind wrapped around what you're talking about here. <laughs> um,
0: I, I'm trying to do the best I can.
1: You're doing a um, great job, Sean. Uh, but- uh, Doing great.
0: <laughs> I, what I wanted to also convey is the idea of what's called harmonics. If you string a guitar, everyone knows that that a string of a guitar vibrates in a harmonic sense, meaning that the sound that comes from a guitar isn't from the single stroke that actually vibrates and amplifies the sound. Same thing for an electric circuit. So we have found that there's a third harmonic nature of how the sun operates with the planets and how it operates with uh, the earth. And so all I was trying to convey here, and and I don't want to spend too much time on this because it may be too complicated, but this is the solar cycle. This is, you know, the 12-year solar cycle. And, but we know that the planets are always moving. And so as this solar cycle interacts with the planets we get a third harmonic wave and so they either add or detract from each other and so this red line produces the actual net effect so just because the sun is firing at the same level as it always does doesn't mean that the net effect is the same it's different and so how that operates is this We take, this is the solar cycle, Casey, that we the last solar cycle from 2008, the peak in 2014 and the trough in 2020. And we've labeled each cycle within 3.6 years of each other, because that's uh, what a third harmonic cycle would be. And then we just move this forward in a 42 year cycle, which is the Gleisberg cycle, by the way, half a Gleisberg cycle. And so I don't wanna go into the, the, the mechanics of it other than to say that what we've done in this chart here, and this is really important. There are times when the sun, uh, the plants allow the sun to fire up very strongly and there's times when it is allowed to fire up less so. And so when we go, and, and so the bottom, the bottom here are the global temperatures And you can see that as the ocean's warm, so does temperature. Because the top is the ocean temperature, the bottom is global temperature. We talked about how ocean temperatures drive the ambient temperature. These highs and lows are all these different cycles that we put together. But notice that every time that we get these high points, the air temperature Follows rhythmically, predictably. We can almost, you know, we we can go back to 1850, and these cycles are working. And these dark lines are La Niña, and we know that La Niña produces lower ambient temperature because remember, the sea surface temperature of the central Pacific is cooling, and so does the temperature. So what does that mean? That means that we're entering a La Nina, 21-22 is going to be La Nina, which means we are expecting a significant nosedive in temperatures, just like we saw here, just like we saw here, just like we saw here. And it, it, this has been going on for hundreds and thousands of years. And the difference, though, Casey, is that this is happening during a time when we're in a period of quieting of the sun, which means that the impact is going to be far, far greater than we've seen before. Um, so, so so, to summarize all this, as I'm sure I've already confused everyone too much, is this is a summary of all these planetary and solar cycles and how they interact with each other. And the most important line that I want everyone to, to try to focus on is this, this dotted line here. This dotted line is the actual net effect of the solar cycle and the planetary cycles and the Glasberg cycle and the yoshimura cycle and the Great Conjunction cycle. And it puts it all together in terms of what does this mean? As this goes down, it means cold temperatures, increased weather volatility, increased weather extremes. If it rises, it means the exact opposite so here's the maunder minimum this was the what's called the sporer minimum that those are interested this is the dalton minimum so all these periods so so all these cycles are now suggesting this is by the way this 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 dotted line here notice it's a little higher than the Monder, but it's lower than the dalton so it's going to be a hybrid between the two <coughs> and it, it actually reaches a trough right around 2040 and so we are expecting significant change in our weather significant change in our sea surface temperatures and a significant change in our air temperatures now this is obviously very different from what we're being told from what the media is suggesting from the concept of co2 induced global warming and It may be difficult for those to believe that this is possible. All I would suggest is that these cycles have been in operation. This, by the way, this is the year 1000. So we're talking about a long period of time here and all these periods are verified on temperature and on weather based upon ice core samples, tree ring analysis and historical records. These are all been verified to be true so unless these natural cycles are no longer working, this is something that we can predict fairly reliably is, is in our future. Now, I don't say this, Casey, to kind of be a gloom and doomer. I am not that. You know this. I say this because it's going to happen whether we like it or not. Um, and I believe that if one is aware of where we're heading, you know, one could take a positive Approach to adjusting their businesses, adjust, uh, kind of applying new technologies, different seeds. There's a lot of ways that one can adjust their behavior to prepare
1: for this. Okay. All right, Sean, I got a question. Yes. Got <clears throat> popped in. So, <clears throat> so the question is, uh, given this discussion, re- what recommendations do you have going forward? And do do you think China's buying patterns factor in this type of information? The
0: research we have done, Casey, is that the very best research we have come across from anyone has been the Chinese research on solar cycles, planetary cycles, natural weather cycles. They are absolutely aware of these cycles more than anybody else in the world, in our opinion. Um, They have some of the most brilliant research. They know exactly what's going on. And so we have thought for years that the reason why they have been purchasing large quantities of food and apparently stockpiling such large quantities of food is because they are trying to prepare for what's coming. Dynasties um, in China have historically fallen consistently during grand solar cycles, during these periods of significant weather volatility significant periods of global cooling. So we are believing completely, as much as on paper they may say they're for, you know, um, trying to uh, uh, prevent global warming, we always say, don't listen to what the Chinese say, watch what the Chinese do. And what they're doing is they're buying tremendous amounts of food, and they continue to buy tremendous amounts of food And because we think they're actually cognizant of these cycles, they know what's coming, and they know that 1.5 or 1.6 billion people, uh, uh, they're in trouble if they don't prepare ahead, and they're doing that. I mean, they've—you know, Casey—they've acquired so many companies in agriculture. They've acquired so much ground in Africa. They've done so many things to try to get themselves access to production away from. The country their own country because they know they're going to need outsiders to help handle what's coming so uh their actions are pretty consistent with what these cycles are saying
1: okay so i want to ask another question this is something that i've had people i've heard i've read articles and i've listened to talk shows when people talk about these the grand solar minimum that's coming and <clears throat> how it lines up with what we saw happening in uh the adult minimum uh more extreme than adult Minimum, and more more like the the Mulder Minimum. As you paint the picture of what we're talking about here, because I I listened to one guy on the radio, and he was you know he basically painted a picture, which I wanted. I was screaming at the radio when he was saying this, but you know like the U.S. Virgin Islands, you're going to need to have a parka because it's going to snow in in the uh, in 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 at Christmas time, right? Uh, the rest of the country is going to be this, this giant wasteland of, of ice and snow and, and what you see there. So paint the picture of what it, what it looks like. It, it, my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but my understanding is that you know summers are going to be shorter but more intense and longer, more drawn-out early frosts and longer uh, winter patterns into, into May, May and June. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I mean, look, th- 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 th-
0: we're going to be able to grow food, Casey. We're gonna be able to grow food. This is not snow in divergent islands. That's not gonna happen, okay? This is not, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is a significant shortening of the growing cycle. Um, look, we just go back to the 1970s, um, you know, the growing cycle in the 1970s was 130, 140 days. Now it's 180 days. So, and that really wasn't too bad considering the historical nature of these cycles, right? So, we're just, we're talking about the compression of the growing cycle. It also means that the ground that can be used is going to move south. doesn't mean you can't grow. It doesn't mean that ground's not going to be, you know, that we're not going to be able to grow food. It just means that, you know, maybe Canada's in trouble, right? You know, maybe Canada's not going to be able to grow a lot of food, but, you know, maybe northern, the northern corn belt's not going to, or, you know, Midwest is not, but, you're going to be able to grow food uh, This is not, you know, gloom and doom, dire, that's not what we're talking about here, but it's a big adjustment though. It's a huge adjustment. It means shorter duration seed. It means shorter uh, growing cycles. It also, you know, it also means extremely people have this concept that global cooling means it's always cold all the time, everywhere. That's not true. It may, actually means extremely hot, short summers. Uh, and, and one to think, well, how can that be? Because that's the nature of um, of how this cycle works. La Nina, which is cooler sea surface temperatures, actually promotes a hot summer, but short. And that's really what we're talking about. You know, bring it down to kind of like the next couple of years, right? I'm sure many of your listeners are kind of interested in like what the next couple of years are looking like. The uh, uh, we're looking at that scenario playing out uh, from the summer of 2021 to the summer of 2022. We're going to have a very long winter, hot, dry summers. So you're going to kind of get what we call the, the worst of both. You're not going to get a long growing cycle. It's going to be hot and dry, but then you're going to get early frost in the fall and a late frost in the spring, and then another hot-dry cycle. It's, it's kind of like everything that you don't want to have happen for growing food is going to happen. Uh, but it doesn't mean you can't grow food. It means you're going to grow a lot less food with the current way that we're doing it, with the current technologies we're adopting, and we're going to have to adjust. We're going to have to find new ways of doing it, Casey. So, so I, 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 there's no example of – it's gonna be freezing, you know, snow in the Virgin Islands kind of thing. No, but it does mean significant changes. Think of the those that remember the 1970s Casey, That's not, you know, it seems that it's, it seems far away, but it really was not. Um, think of how difficult it was to grow food in 1970s. Um, and that was a microcosm of what we're going into. And that wasn't that long ago. Um, more, something more like Think of that, what that was like. Think of you as a farmer, you as a producer, you as an end user. What was it like to grow food in the 1970s for those that, were, that did that? Um, it was very difficult. We had a hard time growing food. That's why corn went from a dollar to four. You know, I mean, it was very distilled. but we figured it out. We found a new way of doing things. We came up with we persevered and we got through it. This is this is not like we're not gonna get through this, but it is going to be a very difficult adjustment phase because unfortunately the world has been told that we need to fear climate change as it means as it as it pertains to warming, endless warming temperatures, that we that's never going to stop when the reality is that climate has always been changing. That's a natural state, and it never always goes in one direction. It always goes up and it goes down, and it goes up and it goes down. There's no example, Casey, of temperatures warming forever. There's a period of up and a period of down, and what we're suggesting, based upon these cycles, based upon the correlation coefficients we've come up with, based on the data, that we are about ready to normally, naturally, start to turn back down, and with that means... Significant challenges that the world is not prepared for. Unfortunately, the virus has exposed a lot of the vulnerability to our global food system, Casey, as you know. Yeah. And so so this just is going to add insult to injury to what we're already experiencing with some of the, f- the fissures going on with our global distribution food system.
1: Okay. I want to say this real quick. Anyone listen to this on Facebook, Twitter? Um, anything that, you, that you're listening to, um, you, feel free to ask a question. Uh, I'm monitoring all that stuff so I can see the questions and, and what pops up. Sean, so what are some recommendations that you have here? I mean, as you look out there between now and the next you know, two, three years, what are some of the recommendations that, you are, that you're giving to people about how to prepare for this or how to, how to uh, get your operation in, into a, a good spot to, to move forward and, and be, be successful during this time?
0: Well, the first thing is, um, is you know, we would certainly want to to think of what Argentina does, right? Uh, Argentina stores soybeans because of their collapsing currency, and they it's it's how they it's how they kind of monetize their farm business, right, Casey? Right. Right. So, so what we believe is this year, although we've had some challenges with the weather, and we we think the corn crop's being overestimated for you know, a whole lot of reasons. And, but, but it's still going to be a good year for, for, for producing crops, okay? I Maybe mean, the overall, going to be a good year, okay? You want to save as much of that crop as you can. We understand you have to sell, got to pay your bills, got to make your banker happy. We understand all of that. But one of the, one of the things you can absolutely do is, is not sell one bushel more than you have to because bushel in the bin is going to be extremely valuable uh, with what we see going forward in the next couple of years. Um the other so so that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, you have to look at how can you grow food in a shorter duration cycle. You know, shorter duration seed, do you do you know crop rotations? You know, there's a lot of different things one can, you know, know what crops should you grow to to maximize this. So 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 the kind of crops or the or the the way that you grow your crops, the the, the the rotation of your crops is going to also be extremely uh, important the other thing is that when if we're correct about what schism um and we get the concomitant increase in price um of course that doesn't really help the farmer right away right so so if your crop's down in half and the price doubles you haven't made any more money correct but, correct but if you can sell out into the future so so like in 2006 2008 when corn went from you know two and a half to eight or from 2010 and 12 when corn went from three to eight there were opportunities in those years to cash sell your crop two to three years out and lock in a price when you when your crops are going to be better that's the opportunity the opportunity is that when that happens and you have a short crop and you say, boy, this was terrible, but, but, you know, we're going to have, you know, I don't want anyone to uh, to think that the weather's always going to be back every single week. No, it's going to be generally less favorable Casey, but you're going to have a, you're going to have some years, you can grow some food, right?
1: Right.
0: Um, and you want to be able to sell that high price. And so when you have the good crop, you've already marketed that crop at the high price and you're, You know and you're monetizing your business at the higher price not selling at the lower price like it's typically done so marketing and how you grow what you grow is very very important um, over the next two to three years to how one manages this there's nothing we can do casey to like you know change technology right away or change you know that's going to happen over the course of you know five to ten years but we certainly can market our crop differently globally and here in the US. And we can certainly decide what we plant, how we plant um, and the nature of the seed that we plant to improve our opportunity going forward. Because um, the biggest problem we have now, as you know, is that we've been dealing with low prices for a very long time. And even though we, you know, production has been good, farmers are still struggling because, you know, the price is not giving the farmer what he needs. So so even though we're, you know, we're, even though we understand that there's a liability to having a crop problem and prices going up, we still prefer that to happen because it's going to offer the farmer a price to sell going forward if he's, um, if he's on top of things that are going to happen. So, so that's our general view of how a producer can best manage this situation going forward.
1: So crop genetics are going to play a are going to become more important than they already currently are. I mean, what we've been able to do with genetics, with, with seed genetics up to this point is pretty amazing. So moving forward, that that shorter growing cycle, uh, seed is going to be a, a high commodity when we start looking at what we do, what we grow, and how we grow it.
0: Well, remember, we've been, the whole industry has been structured to how can we grow corn, soybeans, and wheat and everything and hot dry how, how can we get hot dry resistant seed right I mean we 're all structured for hot and dry because because we 've been in a general you know warmer uh, trend and they 've done a fantastic job the cl- crops can handle hot and dry far far better today than they you know than they ever could have 10 20 thirty years ago but have they structured the seeds for cool uh, Shorter rate, shorter cycle, shorter growing cycles, uh, excessive wetness. We already saw last year how, you know, our crops were dramatically below trend line because of excessive moisture. Um, we have not done that. We need a whole research effort on how can we grow food into cold, wetter, and at times, shorter duration cycles. That will happen. We can do it. The technology is there, the, 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 the the smarts are there, but the capital, the the investment needs to come in to be able to do that. The only way the capital comes in is you have to have food prices go up, so it makes it worth everyone's while to put that money in. So instead of investing in Facebook, right, Casey, nothing against Facebook, but that money leaves Facebook because it sees a better opportunity in corn or agriculture. And how do we, and how to better grow food in a cooling uh, more weather volatile cycle, we need to get that capital to flow over into our industry, which we have not seen for the better part of ten years. That's what we need to see. That's what high prices will do, and that's what I am optimistic about that this cycle will, will, will offer is that switch in the capital flows from it's all about tech, you know the stocks and technology to well technology's all good, but if we can't if we're all starving to death, what good is it, right? Uh, just putting it out there. So
1: gotcha okay all right i think that answered that question sean thank you
0: yeah This this slide here casey i just it's just something that this was a farmer mr benner uh, was a farmer in the 1800s he put this together i always try to find alternative uh studies and alternative cycles that verify or not verify what i'm doing because you know I, I, it, science is all about a learning process but this is what's called the better cycle and he was frustrated He was a farmer, prices would move up and down, he always seemed to sell low, he never sold high, he was frustrated, he tried to determine what was going on and he came up with this cycle. And and I just put it out there: this is numerology, this is not weather cycles, this is not planetary cycles, this is not This is simply his work on the order of prices of agriculture and how they followed a consistent cycle. and I, I and I think this is important because it shows that there is a rhythm, there is a order to this, and that there is natural cycles that constantly are at, at work that are that that are that are impacting our prices. And so, all I was trying to do with this is to show this. In his cycle, these are when bull markets occur in agriculture mainly because of weather, sometimes because of currency, sometimes because of demand shocks. But it has tended to be mainly, you know, a good portion of this has to do with weather. And so everyone knows in the 1970s, this is when corn went from one to four. Uh, you know, this was when, you know, corn actually hit north of $5 in 1995, 1996. Of course, we know the 2000s corn went from three, from two and a half dollars to eight. And notice that the cycle says that the next big bull market in agriculture is about ready to begin starting in 2021 meaning it could happen you know it's right now right here right now and that we're going to have a significant move higher in agriculture into 2029 based upon numerology on this better cycle that's been worked by the way this goes back to the 1800s i could have shown this going back to 1800 and it works all throughout this entire period of time. I just wanted to make it bigger so people could see what's going on now. So so that's with that. Also notice these dates, these dates here coincide with a U.S. dollar top uh, one year before. And and by the way, you go back to the 1800s, and this holds true, that the U.S. dollar topped one year before each of these dates. And, of course, you know, Casey, and I'm sure most people listening know that a weaker dollar has a lot to do with improving U.S. agriculture and inflationary forces in U.S. agriculture. Uh, we've never seen a bull market in agriculture didn't have some kind of a weaker dollar as a part of that process. And so we have here 2021, which suggests a top in 2020. What has just happened in the last 30 days, 45 days? We've seen a dollar collapsing after a three to four year topping pattern. So that already, it looks to me, Casey, that we are starting to show that the top of the dollar has already occurred in 2020, and we are beginning a substantial, you know, bear market in the U.S. dollar that will go on for, you know, the next decade. Usually, these dollar cycles are decades in the, you know, in, in trend, not not you know a, a couple of years. So, so. You know, this is a very interesting cycle. And, of course, here are called dollar tops, right? We know the dollar topped in 2011, topped in 1995, you know, and, and it says the next dollar top is going to be in 2029. So what I'm suggesting here is that an independent study looking strictly at numerology, strictly at the actual performance of the markets, of the dollar, of ad markets, is consistent with our solar cycle, planetary cycle, natural cycles are all aligning. So, so we, we take great confidence, Casey, in that this cycle is, is actually confirming what we're seeing and what we think is going to happen. Um, and so it, it just, it's, an, it's an added um, tool uh, that creates verification, and so I, so so someone you know anyone could put the Benner cycle in, and look all about it, research what he did and how he did it, and and, and but but it's it, it's at work. It's it's a it's it's actually measuring the natural cycles uh, in our markets, and so um, I hope your listeners find confidence in this cycle because um, it, it it helps it, it helps verify Uh, what we're talking about, because many people will have a hard time thinking about planetary movements, magnetic fields, um, you know, how the solar cycles are working, how it's impacting the Earth. You know, some people have a hard time kind of believing that, but here's a different cycle that actually suggests that that that's actually what's going on, even with someone who knew nothing about what we've just discussed. So I put that out there because I always like to find as many different, different thoughts, process that can confirm or deny what we're trying to think about, so.
1: Okay. Um,
0: I wanted to show this, uh, I, I know we've been talking a lot, but I wanted to show this, this is something that we put together and, um, and I think um, it, it's important uh, to show And uh, these red bars is the Yoshimura. If they're above the blue, it's the positive. Of course, it means warming. These are warming effects. Uh, The green is the Gleisberg cycle. If it's above the blue, it's the warming effects. Of course, if it's below, it's the negative Yoshimura or the negative Gleisberg. The blue dotted line is the solar cycle. It's a 22-year moving average, Casey, of sunspots, of the solar cycle. Um, We know from research that solar cycles have a delayed reaction in the atmosphere, meaning that they take about 22 years for them to have an impact on their temperature, the Earth's weather, and volatility. And so we put this together because what we want everyone to appreciate is that these cycles are never – Rarely are they all in alignment. Some are up, some are down. Uh, these dotted circles is the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction that deals with cooling surface temperatures. So for example, right here, sea surface temperatures are going down, but sun, sun's sun's cycles are going up. The cycles are all mixed. What I'm trying to convey is this. Look on the right-hand side. The solar cycle, is collapsing. Our research says it's going to continue to collapse well for the next 20, to 30 years. We know in 2020, this Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, which has dealt with the collapsing of sea surface temperatures, is just about ready to begin. The Yoshimura and the Gleisberg cycle are expected to reach their negative phases in the mid to late 2030s. This, as we discussed before, this is the first time all these cycles are pointing downward since 1600. Um, so we should expect the next 10 years to 50 years to be extremely, extremely see dramatic changes in our weather and see what we, what we, what we would consider to be a destabilizing. Uh, situation for food prices and for food production. We know through shocks. The first ten years are the shock, and then the market figures it out. So, if you think about what happened in the two thousands, Casey, we had a bull market in agriculture from two thousand to like two thousand two to two like thousand twelve, and then the market figured it out, and then we've had a bear for the last ten years, right? Right. So, so. Even though the worst weather that we see is in the 2030s, the most destabilizing period is the next 10 years because that's when the market's not ready for it. It doesn't have the technologies in place yet. It's not the farmers, the producers aren't ready yet. They have not adjusted yet. Um, So that's why we see the next 10 years being the the biggest impacts to ag markets, to the agricultural industry, um, into how, and, and the changes that need to go on in agriculture, even though the 2030s are going to be the worst period for weather, prices are going to actually peak, just like the better cycle said in 2029, 2030, we're actually gonna see peak prices well before the worst weather is done. So this is something, we, is this a living document? It's a live document, something that we will be adjusting, but it creates a signpost for your listeners to watch, to monitor, to... See, and, and the beauty of this is the next two years, they can actually watch this in motion. You know that we've talked about in your program before about certain things happening. You know uh, the uh, uh, polar vortex, things yeah. that were going to happen, and they actually did happen. Right. And people could say, "Hey, you know, Casey talked about this. This pro- we talked about it, and it happened, and it happened, and it happened." We want to provide a window of. Of, of signposts for your listeners to watch, to gain confidence. We're not here to say that everyone should believe everything we just said today, because for most, it's it's so far out there that many of them are, 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 need time to think about this, research it, but we wanna provide a roadmap that every time we reach that another roadmap and a signpost, they can gain confidence and hopefully start to take action because it's really important that the sooner they do, the, the more prepared they're going to be, so. Okay.
1: So, question I have for you Question came in. Um, so, so I, with, with just a handful of places that I've actually heard people talk about this, this is not a very mainstream thing when there's science to back that up. What, what weather forecasting models have you seen out there that are going to that, that support this and, and factor this kind of stuff into those to their models?
0: None of the weather models do, Casey. The okay. Euro model... And the gfs model which are the two models that all the weather forecasters utilize to predict weather i'm sure mean, anyone that follows weather knows that there's a there's two different models you know the, the main models that are used they do not factor the sun in at all into their forecasting
1: okay
0: that's why they can't predict weather two weeks in advance they just can't do it they still cannot predict weather two weeks in advance um and if you look at a month forecast uh, for example if you look at the noaa weather forecast that they, they you know, you get a one to three month forecast on NOAA which uses the GFS model for example and it's never correct in fact sometimes it's so wrong one has to wonder why anyone even pays any attention to it because they don't factor in solar cycles any of these natural weather cycles they they make a forecast off of forecast and I mean that they're actually making a forecast of forecast and so they, they it, unfortunately the, the weather models that are out there are not reliable and that's why there's a huge disservice um, to farmers and producers out there and why the, the, the forecasters continue to... So, for example, just to give you a perfect example, most of the weather models were calling for a, a, a repeat this spring. Dr- very wet. Uh, I'm sure you heard them. You know, yeah. the oh, yeah. Very wet. It's going to be another... Floods everywhere. It's going to be a, a, re- a repeat of 2000 and... Um, of you know, last year and on our on your program casey you know that we said this was going to be an early spring yep. early start of the spring it was going to be a warm spring a drier spring it was going to be everything everything that last year was not um and that's exactly what happened every single weather model got it completely wrong and then they make excuses that well because the forecast that we were going off changed, then we had to change our forecast because they're making a forecast of a forecast. Right. So unfortunately, what I hope, um, my belief is that the whole industry of weather forecasting has to go through a tectonic shift in how we do how they do business, how they decide actually go about it. And I hope that this whole process that we're gonna go through gets the weather models back on board with factoring in these other weather cycles that are out there that can actually help predict the weather fairly reliably and get away from, you know, these uh, forecasts of our forecast. I mean, Jason, we've been predicting La Nina five years ago that a big La Nina was going to occur in 21-22. We already are in La Nina now. I mean, we made this forecast five years ago. You know, we're, we're, we're we're here in South Florida where, you know, I'm a, I'm a chemistry major. I don't have a degree in mineralogy yet. I made this forecast five years ago, based upon these cycles, not that I'm trying to, you know, over embellish anything. It's just that they work and, 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 and they're, and they're, and they're repeatable and they're reliable. And yet somehow the mainstream weather forecasters refuse to adopt it. Um, so we're hopeful that that will change. In the meantime, unfortunately, you know, we have to fend for ourselves in terms of weather forecasting. And, and so that's what we do. We don't pay any attention to those weather models because they just don't work.
1: Yeah. That's very true. <clears throat> very true.
0: I will say uh, that one outfit that we follow, um, and, and by the way, I, I, I'm gonna put this out there that, you know, I have no association with them. I don't even, have never talked to them before, but I appreciate their research. Um, and it's, it's a Weather Trends 360. And uh, what they do is they take a statistical, uh, analytical approach to weather forecasting meaning that they have these supercomputers and they go through and they look at all the data and and they kind of do what the better cycle does if you think what the better cycle is it's a statistical it's numerology but they take numerology and they say well you know if if last year was a wet spring 90 percent of the time the following spring is going to be dry just as an example okay Um, they're pretty good uh, because they don't make a forecast off of a forecast they simply crunch data and say what does the long-term data suggest I think that they could actually you know do a little bit of job if they factor a few other things in but but I would say that of anyone that we follow that actually can does a decent job because they're not taking a forecast for a forecast I would say that uh, you know they do they have an interesting approach that isn't too bad um, you know, they put a, they put a forecast one year ahead and it's not too bad. It's actually pretty good. Um, uh, their, 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 service is extraordinarily expensive. You know, it's, 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 rich. but, but nonetheless, I, you know, that is the only outfit we have found Casey that we could say kind of does a pretty good job. Uh, and, and, and we would hope that approach or more firms take more of that kind of approach to weather forecasting than the forecasting that they've been doing, which doesn't work. So,
1: right on. And what was the name of that website? One more time.
0: Uh, it's Weather Trends three hundred and sixty.
1: Weather Trends three hundred and sixty.
0: Okay. Yeah. If if, if you could find a way to get them on your program, I don't you know I don't know if they would go on or not. Uh, uh, uh Kirk is the guy's uh, is a CEO of the company. Um, they do really good work, Casey. It's it's it, w- it would be worth having them on. Um they they do good work. Okay. Uh, they, they they have this statistical approach and, and I followed them for a long time and, and I can tell you that that you know look I'm here I, I want the truth. I want the right information to come out of people's hands. Um and they do good work. They are valuable and I think that um I think it would be worthwhile. For your listeners to hear some of what they have to say. Like I said, whether they can afford their service or not, I don't know. I mean, it's it's really expensive, but but nonetheless, it's it's they do good work. And I'm here to promote the good word on, on people that are doing good work, that are doing the right thing, that are actually getting it right, uh, versus getting it wrong all the time, like like Noah and, and the rest of them that just, just never get it right. So because farmers need good information. They need good forecasting. They need reliable information. They need something that works for them, that they can look and plan and figure out what's going on uh, instead of saying, well, the weather model is two days from now, it's completely change it. I'm so sorry, but uh, that's just the way it goes. That's not acceptable. Right. In our view. That's just not acceptable.
1: I agree. So. Okay. This uh, next heading on this next slide you have here's a, a pretty uh, poignant statement you have there.
0: Well, we we, you know, I, I I think we've been talking and been doing your programs now for a couple of years now, or close to it. You know, we we've, we've been talking on your programs about twenty one, twenty two, that this was the important key year where this big weather regime change was going to really show up. We said there would be hints of it before, like like last year the floods. When we talked, we predicted those floods, as you know, case we, yep. we talked about those floods. We talked before months before they happened, we said they were going to happen and they did. Um, but it still was kind of a, like the, the precursor, the, the, uh, the trailer to the big show. This is the big show. Twenty one, twenty two 22 is what we call the big show. This is when the grand solar cycle minimum, these planetary natural cycle forces are really going to present themselves in a way that are at this moment Pretty unthinkable right now, meaning we believe that the kind of weather extremes we're going to be seeing in the summer of 21 to the winter of 21-22 to the summer of 2022 are going to be such that we believe everyone will remember what they were doing during this period of time. Because this is when the weather shifted, it changed, and it, and it, and it dramatically altered how we do things and we don't say that to be fantastical we don't say that because you know we're trying to you know create fear it's just we believe it to be true that this is really going to be very significant very severe and we want everyone to be prepared for it but there's also tremendous opportunity that will come as we discussed earlier from keeping some of your food and your grain stored aside for when it happens and then being able to market your crop several years out after it happens that's the opportunity that we see in this period of time and once it happens and the whole concept of what's driving our weather becomes clear and we re- and then we're going to be then then we believe everyone's going to be on a mission to how do we figure this out how do we do a better job at weather forecasting how do we do a better job at agriculture you know producing food in this weather regime is going to change the whole discussion from what we're discussing now of analyst global warming co2 one variable controls everything to okay these natural cycles are at work we can't change them but we can adapt we've always adapted we will adapt and and i'm optimistic that for those that are willing to adapt the future is extremely bright
1: Real, real quick i will say this you know when sean called me back in december November or something like that of, of 2018 and out of the blue and started talking to me about this kind of stuff and I, I'd heard about it but never paid much attention, didn't know anything about it and <clears throat> when when that, that polar vortex hit and we had that uh, uh, polar vortex in, i trying to remember when it was, first of February and at the end of February, um, we had two epic blizzards. Like hundred year blizzards in my area, where I'm at, uh, we had I'm trying to remember how many inches of snow we've got. We had like eighteen or twenty four inches of snow in the first one, and we got like fifteen or sixteen. And 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 Sean called those with the research he's showing here. He he called those within two days. Again, not a meteorologist, just looking at the information out there. Same with the with the flooding. I mean, he called that flooding. Um, Again, like you said, you know, within, you know, three months out and and it was it was everything he said it was gonna be. So I mean, the information that he has here, like you said, is you know, he's not a meteorologist, he's just looking at the information that's there and the information and Sean's not the only guy on the island out here talking about this kind of stuff. There's astrophysicists, there are chemists, there are nuclear physicists, there's there's all kinds of high level, high grade went to school for a really long time type doctors that are looking at these things um and they're all saying exactly what sean's saying and so so the stuff that we have coming up here that we're talking about that he's talking about in this report and what he's talking about in this this the slideshow is i've been trying to figure out something to poke a hole in and i haven't found anything yet so you know sean i think i think what you're bringing to the table here is a is a very very timely number one and very accurate information
0: well, we hope so you know like i said i mean we're we believe in the scientific process i, I, you know, I have a chemistry major by by trade uh, by degree um we believe in the scientific process we believe in having a thesis having a theory i don't care what the truth is casey i really don't it, whatever the truth is it is uh, my job is to get it right in agriculture getting the weather right means getting you know giving good advice to my customers that's the only thing i care about i have no i don't care if global warming was the thing and CO two was the thing and that's what the data suggested, I'd be all on top of it. But that's that's not what the data suggests. Um um and 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 also the the, 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 the some of the, the biggest thing to that that I want everyone to understand is that anyone that does five minutes of research on the history of weather knows that the natural state of weather is that it's always changing. That's the natural state of weather. It is never stable. There has never been a time in history that we've had stable climate for any period of time. Because of the nature of the natural cycles of work that we've discussed with everything changing and the planets moving and, and all the, the forces changing, that's the natural state. Yet those, there are those out there that want to convey that a changing climate is not normal and dangerous. It's exactly normal and it's to be expected, and it will continue. So what I'd like to do, Casey, is this last slide I think is important um, because um, I find it very ironic, and and I just wanted to kind of end our our discussion here with this. And this is simply commodity prices uh, uh, versus the Dow Jones Industrial Average, meaning commodities versus stocks. And um, you could see uh, we hit an extremely low point in the early 1930s before the Dust Bowl and had a big surge. You could see that we had a significant low in the late 1960s before the, the 1970s and the global cooling scare that took place during that time and uh, the removal of the, uh, of the dollar against gold. There's a lot of things going on at that time. We had another low point here in 2002 before uh, the China uh, demand spike. Uh, also, you know, the dollar uh, falling apart, a whole bunch of things, some, some weather got in here. But look, at where, this is where we are today. And I find it ironic that just as we are about to enter this extreme period of significant weather change, because, of course, agriculture drives much of, these, much of this pricing, by the way. Sure, there's metals and in, in, in crude oil and stuff, but, but most of this is, is driven by the agricultural prices, by the way. But look at where we are today. Look at how low we are today. Now, by the way, just because something is low doesn't mean it can't stay low. Uh, but I, but, I, but I, I offer this concept to producers, because I deal with producers all day long, as you do, Casey. And, and everyone's depressed, everyone is bearish, everyone is feeling like there's no hope, there's no future, uh, the bear market will never end, there's low prices forever. I would encourage them to look at this chart. I wonder what people were thinking in the late 1960s. I wonder what they were thinking during the beginning of the Depression, in the early 1930s. How how optimistic do you think they were just before the biggest the greatest bull markets in history began in those two periods of time. I would imagine they were pretty depressed, Casey. I would imagine they didn't think there was any hope in any future. And what I offer here is here we are with this extraordinary undervaluation in commodities, especially agriculture, to stocks. Just as we're about to enter this insane change in the weather that, we're, that we've just discussed the opportunity, if you're looking, as you're, if you're in agriculture, is that we're going to do something like this. You know, we're going to do something like that, something like that, something like that. You know, that we're going to move up to the, we're going to move up to this dotted line up top over the next 10 years as this weather comes off the rails and as, as we shift into a different paradigm. And so I just view this because this, this, This is not um, a forecast. This is simply evaluation. Things can only get so undervalued for so long, Casey, and there has to be a reversion to the mean. Everything lives in together. Everything works together. Everything trades together. And so there is a tremendous disconnect, as we say, between what's going on with commodities and what's about to happen. And so... Anyone listening on this call, keep this chart, print it out, put it on your desk. Remind yourself of where we're at. Don't lose hope. Keep the faith. Um, remain optimistic. We really, really believe that with what we see, with our with our weather cycles, with our natural cycles, what has always happened for hundreds and thousands of years is saying there is a much brighter future for the agricultural sector, um, and if we're correct about what we believe is about to happen, it's about to start in the next couple of years. Not in the next 20 years the next, years, the next couple of years. And so we would hold that vision for everyone out there um, because right now there's very few people that are giving anybody any hope for the future. And, and we think there's every reason to be optimistic. And so we would leave it with that, that, that the, the ironic nature of the market is it's as low as it's ever been just as we're about to enter a weather period that should offer historic problems for production and price so
1: well good stuff sean um, good information a lot of a lot of great information here a lot of a lot of stuff to digest uh, across this uh this hour and a half almost that we've been going here so if folks want to reach out to you, Sean, and get more information uh, from you or just just see what else that you have to offer from fact, uh, Hackett Financial, what's the best way to do that? Uh,
0: the website is hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. There's lots of you know, podcasts and interviews on there, sample reports that so they can see what we do um, to see if what we do might be of value to your listeners. You know, Apologize for going so long. There's a lot. There's so much going on here, and, and 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 you know, and I do know there's a lot here, but but hopefully we've provided some some food for thought and some uh, and, and and have created a catalyst for further research by your listeners. So
1: I think so. So, well, I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure to check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Also, uh, make sure you check out the Global Ag Network. Follow the great Global Ag Network podcasters out there, and the Moving Iron LLC, uh, website where so you find uh, all the information that I put out. This, this this video will be up there as well as the other social media sites as well as any blogs that I post. So with that, I am Casey Seymour or Sean Hackett. Let's go move some iron, folks. Out.
0: Mooring iron in the 21st century Hard You'll find us
1: here Moving higher